You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. The money was just burning a hole in Bill Belichick's pocket. He had to spend it, and as fast as possible. Opinionated. Of all the stopgap quarterbacks, Cam Newton was the best choice for the Patriots. Kudos to them getting it right. To the point. Sox will be better. They're still finishing in fourth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas show on a Tuesday. We get ready for Red Sox baseball coming up here. 6-10 with the pregame show. Sox taking on the Mets in the first of two at City Field. So just a short show today, live on the air, 30 minutes. We will have a fully digital show available on the Brady Farkas show podcast channel. We'll be joined here in about 15 minutes by former Catamount Hoops coach Tom Brennan, as we are every single Tuesday. And then over on the podcast channel, when we continue on, We'll have a really good talk with Jeff Potter Nostro of Baseball Prospectus about some of my thoughts on what's wrong with baseball right now. We'll see if he is in agreement. So while we are here live for half an hour, you can always get in on the Napa Morrisville and Napa Waterbury text line at 802-585-3026. That's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Guys, let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farka show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans and online at sticksandstuff.com. I came to this realization the other day, and I don't know that it's an epiphany, but it's something that I'm feeling very strong about. The Red Sox should extend Eduardo Rodriguez and they should do it as soon as they possibly can. The Red Sox should extend Eduardo Rodriguez, and they should do it now if they possibly can. I know that people don't like to negotiate within the season, but I have seen enough. I think we've all seen enough. We had questions about how Erod would respond after missing a year from myocarditis. We wondered if he was just a one-hit wonder after 2019. And I think we've gotten our answers. I think that we've seen enough. He's not a one-hit wonder. He's a really good pitcher. He is your front-line starter. And you need to extend guys like that. Don't make the mistake that you made with John Lester so many years ago. And this isn't doing it prematurely like you did with Chris Sale a couple of years ago. Do the right thing. You need aces to win in this league, and Eduardo Rodriguez is your ace, and he's a very good pitcher. There is no reason not to extend him at this point. There is no reason not to extend Eduardo Rodriguez at this point because, look, if you had health concerns about myocarditis, well, look, it was last week that Dr. Jessica Flynn, or maybe two weeks ago, that Dr. Jess Flynn told us, look, he's going to be fine from that. He's going to be fine for myocarditis. So myocarditis isn't the issue. Okay, we were worried a little bit about the dead arm. Well, he's come back from that, and he's been dominating and carving up lineups this season. The Red Sox plan, as far as I can understand it, 
the Red Sox plan to contend within the next few years. Like starting this year and for the next few years, they plan on being contenders. So if you are going to contend this year and subsequently outwards, you're going to need that frontline rotation member, and Erod has been that and more. This team, if it thinks it's going to contend, like they think they're contending this year. If you think you're contending beyond this year, which obviously they do, they can't risk losing Eduardo Rodriguez in free agency because if you do that, if you lose Eduardo Rodriguez in free agency, you jeopardize that contention window that you have coming. You can't take Erod out of this contention, out of this rotation rather, as you look to contend. He has been that good. And Alex Cora said this was last week after the start against Toronto at Fenway Park in which he went up against Hunjin Ryu. I mean, Cora said he's one of the best in the league. Attacking the zone, that's something we really liked. Trying to get deep into the game and giving us a chance to to maneuver the bullpen. Alex, how much um, has it benefited Eduardo, do you think, that he's pitching at a little bit of a better tempo than he has in the past? Uh, it benefits all of us, including you guys. Uh, <laughs> it is something that is very important. Um, his stuff is that good. We, we have to... We have to give him credit. His stuff is that good. Uh, he's you know, evolving into you know, one of the best lefties in, in the league. And his numbers back that up. He's 4-0 and this year. And since 2019, the Red Sox are 30-8 and on days that Eduardo Rodriguez pitches. I'm no mathematician, but that's better than a 750 winning percentage. And by the way, the Red Sox only won 83 games. In 2019, they only won 83 games. They weren't even that good in 2019, but on days that he pitches, they are great. 30 and 8 since 2019 when Erod pitches. Shows me he keeps his team in the game. He gets wins. He pitches deep into the game. Eduardo Rodriguez is a stud. Okay. If you thought myocarditis would hold you back or hold him back, we've we've disproved that. Knock on wood. If you thought dead arm was a concern, you were worried about a repeat of the Chris Sale situation, well, he's gotten through that. And if you think you can easily replace Erod with cheaper in-house prospects, you can't. The Sox don't have many. They barely have any. They certainly don't have many. Tanner Houck, Connor Siebold, and that's really it. And their insurance for everyone else in the rotation to me as far as I'm concerned. Martin Perez is a free agent after this year. Who knows with Garrett Richards. Evaldi's a free agent after next year. Like These young prospects need to replace those guys as far as I'm concerned. Erod needs to be the stalwart of the rotation when you go to some of these other guys. And if you think that you can just replace Erod easily on the free agent market, you can't. You know, I mentioned on the digital version of the show that Jeff Paternostro interview is coming up. And Jeff Paternostro is from Baseball Prospectus. Like, here's what he said about the impending free agent market and Eduardo Rodriguez. We're looking at more of a medium-term competition cycle. There's no reason not to extend him if you can make the, the money work for both sides. Because you look at towards the free agent market this offseason as well. You've got a lot of older pitchers, you know, uh, Zach Greinke, Max Scherzer, kind of not the aisle I think they're going to be shopping in immediately. You've got Noah Syndergaard is coming off Tommy John surgery. You've got Marcus Stroman. There really isn't, um, you know, a, a equivalent, you know, that quality of pitcher. I think this. 
there's not an equivalent quality of pitcher out there on the free agent market. So you're not replacing him easily with prospects. You're not replacing him easily on the free agent market. There is no reason not to extend Eduardo Rodriguez right now. He's their best pitcher. He's a big part of their future. Let's get this thing done, okay? Your free agent options are limited. So is everybody else's. So do you really want to wait, let Erod pitch well all season, have the price go way up, and then let everybody else bid on him too? I certainly don't. Now, this is a new era here post-COVID, post-COVID financials. I don't know what the money will look like, but I'm going to bet it's nowhere near the David Price deal we saw from a couple of years ago, seven years, $217 million. I mean, are we at four for 100, five for 120? I don't know, but I mean, I think it's going to end up looking like a bargain at some point here. Teams aren't spending that kind of money right now. So does Erod get five for 140? I don't know. It's, it feels like it's going to end up being affordable, especially for the Boston Red Sox. There's no reason to not get this deal done as far as I'm concerned. Um, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. We get one in from Dave in East Montpelier who says, Brady, you had mentioned earlier in the season, or offseason rather, maybe trading Eduardo Rodriguez. How would signing him to a long-term deal impact that? That's a good question, Dave. Um, I think signing him to a long-term deal here in season, obviously, I think would make it very hard to move Erod. Having a player under team control for several more years obviously increases the haul that you would need to get, right? If I'm going to trade a guy with four years left on a deal or five years left on a deal, whatever it is, I'm expecting the world. Teams aren't giving you the world. They don't want to part with a huge haul of prospects right now because they also know the financials. They need the cheap talent as well. They don't want to spend a massive amount of money. And then also from your own standpoint, Remember, a lot of prospects haven't played a whole lot of baseball in the last year and a half. So are you confident if you trade a guy like Erod with four or five years of team control? Are you confident that you're getting a great return? Because you just haven't seen that many guys. So I think it complicates things. I think it makes things harder. Um, Teams don't want to inherit 80 to $100 million contracts. And they don't want to give up four or five foundational pieces that are cheap for that 80 to $100 million contract. So... I don't think it would be easy to trade Erod. If you've if you've signed him, I don't think it would be very easy at all. Um, the Red Sox have shown us they can compete quickly. I'll stand by it. I don't think they're going to the playoffs this year, but they have shown us they can compete. Independent of what happens this season, it won't take long for them to get, really get back into the conversation. They're, they're, they'll be seated at the American League table pretty quickly here. So at this point, I'm not looking to trade Eduardo Rodriguez. At this point, I want to grow with Erod. I guess the caveat is if they fade and by June they haven't signed Erod and now they're falling by the wayside, then I'd consider trading them like I said all along and I'd probably do it, but I don't want to get to that point. I think this team needs to grow with Eduardo Rodriguez, not look to get rid of him. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to step real quick here. NFL Draft is coming up Thursday. I did. I don't know if my Erod take was an epiphany. I think this is an epiphany for me with the Patriots. If the Patriots don't take a quarterback in the first round, or if they don't move up to get a quarterback in the first round, I want them to trade back. If they're not going to take the quarterback, 
if they're not going to trade up for the quarterback, I just want them to trade back. I, I came to this conclusion. I am not intrigued by anything other than a quarterback in the immediate first round. If you're not going to do it and you're not going to move up for it, just just move back. Move back later into the first round. Grab an additional second-round pick if you can because no singular player, and I said this yesterday, no singular player is going to make or break this roster at this point. Okay, The team has shored up its holes. It can compete next year, now. Okay, It can compete right away with what they've got. So if you're not getting the quarterback, just move back. Give yourself more opportunities to get depth pieces that can help you long into the future. They need linebacker help. They need DB help. They need wide receiver help. If you can move back from 15 to 26 or 15 to 21, and you can also grab a second and a fourth or a third and a fifth, whatever, you might as well just do that. They need a quarterback. The quarterback is what they have the first-round pick for. And if they're not going to utilize it, Heck, they might as well just go back and get multiple pieces. They move back all the time anyways, and it doesn't sound like they're all that close to moving up, Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback said. So, like, they've explored. Um, they've made the exploratory phone calls about going up into the top 10. And, um, you know, I know they've talked to Atlanta. They've talked to Carolina. Um, and, and look, like, I don't want to make a, like, that big a deal out of that, that because these things happen this time of year, sure. you know? And I don't think they're down the road with any of those teams quite yet, at least to my knowledge. That was Albert Breer on the Dan Patrick show yesterday. It really just sounds like it's going to be a wait-and-see thing for the Pats. If it happens, if draft night, it's moving in their favor, then great. If if it doesn't, then we'll all be ticked about it, but they should just move back and get depth pieces. It would really be all that you can do. One, one player that's not a quarterback, isn't going to make a difference for them in my mind. I mean, just just move back at that rate. You can. The team is good. They still need long-term holes filled. They still need long-term depth. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore. They can move back and grab a receiver and a DB like to help that. That would be fine. I just The quarterback is the only thing that excites me. That is all I'm interested in the first round. I want them to trade up. I want them to get... Justin Fields, if it doesn't happen, then I'm just going to be disappointed. I'm going to walk in here on Friday, I feel, and be disappointed. And, you know, I reserve right to change my mind because I'm sure as I watch the draft and I hear Kuyper and McShay and NFL Network and everybody talk up whoever the Patriots have taken at 15 if they do and it's not a quarterback, I'm sure I'll get excited. But deep down, I'm going to be disappointed. By the way, I am pumped to announce that on Friday, uh, we do have a full show. Red Sox are in Texas. They're taking on the Rangers, so we'll have a full show until 7. We're going to have a great draft recap day. We're going to have Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, on with us that day. And then uh, Rob Bradford of WEEI, who you hear on our Red Sox broadcast, he's going to be with us talking some socks for our Friday Diamond discussion, but he also covers the Pats, so he'll give us his takes on the draft as well. So that's Friday with uh, Rob Bradford and Bob Sosi. Right now it's Tuesday, and every single Tuesday at this time we talk to our guy, Tom Brennan, the legend, the former Catamount Hoops coach, the Hall of Famer, the court at Patrick Jim is named after him. TB, my man, how are you on this Tuesday? My boy, I am doing wonderfully today. Thank you. I got my tooth pulled, uh, so I have a little bit of a little bit of a pain there, but other than that, I feel wonderful. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, good news for the Cats yesterday. They picked up a new transfer, so they got a guard in from Western Carolina who comes in as a senior by the name of Cameron Gibson. And, TB, it's interesting to me, 
There's a lot of people wanting to come to UVM. There are not that many people that ever want to leave UVM. So something's I, working here. You got, it. you got that right. I, it's amazing to me uh, how they they get to keep so many people, how people just decide to stay here. I think it's wonderful. And um, uh, But, yeah, we've been we've been fortunate there. We've been very fortunate. Yeah, you know, TB, we have talked about the transfer portal and how much we don't like it and how it's not necessarily great for basketball, but – there are hardly ever any UVM players entering that thing. So I, I don't know if it's the program is, is you know, it wins so much, if it's John Becker himself, the overall staff, but people just don't want to leave here at the rate they want to leave other programs. Yeah, and I think that's a testament to everybody who's involved. Uh, and But let me say this, Bray, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think less of either the players now or the um, coaches, coaching staff now if that number rises, which eventually it's going to, but, uh, but you know, the whole world is changing as far as transfers, basketball, college basketball, whatever. So uh, it's just the way it is. Did you see the other day, my boy, Syracuse women, 12 in the portal, 12. And they were, they made a tournament run. So it's not like yeah, they, they were bad even. Second round. They lost to UConn in the second round. Unbelievable. So, I don't know. I don't know. I the, Certainly the grass is always greener. That's what the uh, the expectations are for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, I got, you know, and, and just the idea, I think that people can do it. I think that, you know, look, I can. If I want to go, I can go. No punishment, um, you know, so I'm going to – I'm probably going to do that sooner rather than later if I'm not happy with one little thing at my present situation. How hard is that for you as a head coach to basically re-recruit your team every year? You know what? You are you are talking to the wrong guy, and you know this, man. I was their I was their favorite uncle. I mean, yeah. especially when, you know once even you know what when we when we got bad, I was uh, I was hugging them and telling them to hang in there, and when we got good, I was hugging them and telling <laughs> them that's great how good they were. But it wasn't my nature uh, to be a bad guy. You know, I just wasn't a bad guy, and uh, that doesn't make me a good coach or a bad coach. Uh, I had a bad guy. You know, you need one if you're uh, you know if you're if you're going to be the good guy, you need somebody to be the bad cop, and uh, so we had that, but it was never me, and I, I enjoyed that because. It was not my personality, so I don't know. I, I don't know what would happen. I, I mean, I've had guys leave, you know, but not many, and not, you know, not. I mean, really, it was very few. And um, but that's all going to change now because, uh, you know, when people aren't playing, uh, they're going to think of other options, and the first one is to go somewhere else. You know, it's interesting. One more note on Cameron Gibson, who comes in from Western Carolina. As a freshman, he scored like 14 points a game. He's gone down every year since then. <laughs> so why is it? I, you know, usually we think of it going the other way. You start and you're averaging two, six, 12, 20. Like, yeah. it goes the other way. What what goes into it going the other way when you start hot and then go down after that? I'm not sure. Uh, playing time, I'm sure, had to have a lot to do with it. Uh, maybe style of play. Uh, maybe he snuck up on some people as a freshman and not so much after that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a, an obvious answer for that. My, my, uh, my thing would be to go just as you say from two to four to 10 to 20, but, um, uh, uh, but I, I'm sure they've vetted him. Is that the word we use now? Yes, that's the word. They've vetted him very carefully. And, um, and for the most part, you got to say we have been, uh, we have been lucky with transfers, right? By and large, would you say that? 
Um, yeah, recently, you know, Missoula is pretty good player. He did some good mm-hmm. things. Thomas Murphy had some moments last year. Duncan DeMuth from Oklahoma State's the guy that hasn't panned out. Yeah, so, right, there you go. There's one that um, worked out well. Giddens but, was uh, okay from Alabama. So I would say they largely have done well. But uh, yeah. we're talking with Tom Brennan, former Catamount Hoops coach, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You know who I had on um, last week was Ryan Rossillo. and. Oh. So Rosillo, who's long time at ESPN, but now he's over at the Ringer, and we were talking about you, and he he just sung your praises, Coach. <laughs> we go way back. We go way back before before he was even Ryan Rosillo. When I first got to ESPN, he was doing radio, and uh, you know what his his beef was? I almost smacked him in the head. I swear <laughs> to God, his beef was that he wasn't on the uh, it it wasn't Van Pelt and Rosillo. Yes. And, you know, he would say that to me. This is bull. This is bull. I can't believe it. I said, my boy, calm down, man. You're on a national radio show. The guy gives you all the props. Yeah, that must have been weird for you to uh, meet Rosillo down at ESPN. Like, I'm sure you don't meet too many former Catamounts out on the road. No, no, I don't. And uh, as I said, he's a you know, really good guy, hard worker, and uh, now he's done very, very well. But he, he's a good dude. He was, You know, it's always nice uh, – you know, when you meet people, and again, I meet so many of them because I'm so old, uh, and, and they're really good guys. They're really easy to root for, especially, and like I said, everybody's younger than me, all these kids, and I've watched kids go through the high school situations here and even college or go away or know their parents, whatever, and it's just nice. Uh, it's nice for somebody like me when somebody like you is successful. You know, Rosillo told me something very, very interesting. He said that, um, you know, he has a lot of friends in coaching, and, and you know, part of the the, the appeal of coaching is the idea that you're always going to move up, move up. What's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And these guys bounce all over the country. And he said, you know, as I've gotten older, I have a real appreciation for what Tom Brennan did to go to a place, to stay at a place, and to really immerse himself in the community. And, you know, he's like, there's a lot of great things about moving all around and, and meeting a bunch of different people. He goes, there's something also to be really, really appreciated by staying in one spot and becoming a fixture in the community. So he had nice things to say about you. And, uh, you know, why why did you want to stay? Well, what, uh, you know what? You know, one reason is because the radio was so successful. Yeah. It was so successful. We blew that thing up and uh, on Corbin the Coach, and, and it was just it was such a, a great community thing, and people were so involved with it. The, the team uh, became more community oriented and and they were available to people all those things but the radio was really really a big part of it and then you know i i lynn had a good job and and you know so it wasn't so much about money it was about where you were and we were building this thing and they had given me time and it was it was just really really neat so um you know it's funny because um uh i talked to a guy the other day and we were talking about a situation and and i said you know when i got to vermont i thought you know what two years, three years tops. If you can just make it better, make it a little bit better, then you can go. Because everybody knows, you know, you can't, it's not a lifetime job, and it's not, you know, it's not somewhere where, you know, you're going to turn the thing around in a couple of years. So, uh, but, you know, 19 years later, and being, as you say, immersed in the community, involved in so many charitable things, and, and then we got good on top of everything else. We got real good. So it was, uh, it, it was really interesting. So you never... You never know. And, and if you, you know, Valvano, I remember Valvano told me this on a Nike trip. Don't ever mess with Happy. He hmm. said that to me. And I was at Yale at the time. He said, don't ever mess with Happy. This business is too hard. 
and uh, and, and and takes too much out of you. And and, uh, and so that was it. So I got to a point where I really liked it here and just wanted to see how far we could go here. And then uh, I thought we went as far as we could go, and so then I turned it over to somebody else. Well, very very uh, interesting too. Um... By the time we talk next week, I think we're going to know if TJ Sorrentine got that Central Connecticut job. So yes, I, I'm yes, rooting for him. Yes. Are we allowed to talk about that? No, well, we're, we're, all, we're keeping our fingers crossed. I don't know. Do, do I, you I, know I, the answer already? Do you want to break news no, here? No, no, I no, I don't. I'm, I wish I did. I know that he's right there. I know that. I I even hate to say that because I I think that might jinx him. But I, I do know this. Um, I don't think, as opposed to maybe a, another candidate or two, uh, I don't think he's at all. Uh, discouraged by by it, you know. I mean, like you go into a situation like that, you start looking for what's wrong with it, you know. What, why, why can't it succeed? Why, why aren't they paying more money? Why aren't they paying the assistance? Why aren't they having more for recruiting? If you get too immersed in that stuff and too wound up in it, then you forget the task at hand. And and the idea, I said this to all kind of people I've recommended for jobs or to help try to help get jobs. The difference is you. You are the difference, not. The recruiting budget or not that yeah all that stuff is important but you are the guy that's going to turn that thing around or not by how you deal with people how you handle the community how you handle the administration and all those things so uh so that being said i don't think he's afraid of it for sure i don't know if he's going to get it um my my guess is that he will take it if it's offered to him but i don't know that for sure either but uh he's certainly not you know like his line to me was you know you can learn that league that league is not not, there's not one team that's so much better than everybody else, like it is in most leagues. So I'm excited for him. I uh, I don't want to jinx him for sure, but uh, as soon as I know, you'll know. I can, <laughs> I can say that to you. Well, I appreciate that. I think we're all excited. I think we're all rooting for him. So. Oh, it'd be great, <clears throat> wouldn't it? TJ Sorrentine may be a, uh, a future Division One basketball coach. So Tom Brennan, former Catamount Hoops coach, joining us here for the best uh, this week, the almost 15 minutes of the week. So, TB, appreciate <laughs> your time. We'll talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure, my boy. Have a great weekend. You know what? It's going to get more fun because it's getting nicer. All right, TB, thank you very much. I appreciate you being with us. Tom Brennan, former Academy Hoops coach, with us every single Tuesday uh, at about 545. Um, I love having Tom Brennan on. I'm not sure, interesting, what happened to his phone there. All of a sudden, for the last four or five minutes, it sounded like he went underwater. But, hey, all good. We heard him. So, uh, phone adventures with phones in Vermont. So, you know, I think we all have dealt with that. So, And really cool to hear TB talking about Rosillo and meeting Rosillo at ESPN, and it was equally as cool to have Rosillo talk about TB with us last week. And how about TB dropping a little knowledge, saying that Rosillo was mad about not having his name on the show when he was at ESPN. Like, it became SVP and Rosillo, but before that it was just a Scott Van Pelt show. And I've heard Rosillo talk about how much it meant to him to have his name on the show and how mad he got, like echoing what Brennan just said. And it sounds egotistical, but I got to say, I totally get it. Like, I'm looking at the producers right now, like, I totally get this. If Rosillo felt that way, and he said that he did before, I'm with him. I'm in lockstep here. I, I have an ego. I am sensitive. Like, if I work hard and, you know, and I know Rosillo works extremely hard. It's his reputation. He is just a worker and a grinder. Like, if I'm working that hard, I want a little bit of credit, too. So, um... I get why Rosillo was upset, and evidently, um, you know, he was letting Brendan know that he was upset about it. So I don't think it was something he was keeping a real big secret in the building there at ESPN, which was interesting to find out. But I get it. Like I, 
I wanted to, on a previous show I was on, I wanted my name on the show so bad. Um, because I was like, hey, man, I'm putting in all the work here. I feel like I'm outworking some of the people on this show, and I care about this show, and I'm not getting the love from it here. I, I get where Rosillo was coming from. We all have an ego. Like Every person has an ego in some way, and if that's how Rosillo's manifested itself and that's how mine manifested itself, then so be it. Um, interesting stuff with TB also on TJ Sorrentine. I am fascinated to see what happens with TJ Sorrentine and that Central Connecticut job. And, and cool stuff from Brennan talking about stop looking for what's wrong with a job or what's bad about a situation and start thinking about what can work there and what's right. And as I said, at Central Connecticut, there is nowhere to go but up. They've had a losing record like for almost the last decade consecutively. So clearly something hasn't worked. There's obviously reasons why, but maybe Sorrentine can go be the guy that finds the positives. And that's a winnable league there in the Northeast Conference. So, all right, that will do it for us here live on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. We do have Red Sox and Mets coming up here. 7-10 first pitch, 6-10 with the pregame show. Show just just over 10 minutes from now. Red Sox better win tonight because Jacob deGrom is scheduled to pitch tomorrow for New York. So uh, the odds that you're winning that one aren't necessarily great. The Mets don't hit for deGrom, so maybe you got a chance, but... I don't think the Red Sox are going to be hitting DeGrom, so you're better off just trying to win tonight. So uh, if you're with us live, that will do it for us. No live show tomorrow because we got Red Sox Mets baseball starting earlier tomorrow at 540. So tomorrow will be a fully digital show as well. If you're moving on with us here on the digital version, we'll catch you over there. Jeff Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus, prospect guru. We'll talk a little bit about the problems of baseball and a little bit I'll ask him about my Eduardo Rodriguez take and if the uh, Sox should be extending Erod as I think they do. Also on the digital side, more into the Patriots here as we approach draft day. So I'm back at it with you guys live on Thursday as we'll be headed into night one of the NFL draft, but the digital version continues on here on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and at WDEVradio.com. Hi, this is Evan Hallstrom. I race super late models with the Pro All-Star Series. You can follow me throughout the summer racing up and down the East Coast. I've always loved auto racing. Not only do I drive the car, but I build it with my dad. We're a small family-run team that has a lot of fun. I'm proud of the work that I do with the Governor's Highway Safety Program and the Vermont Highway Safety Alliance. Remember, click it or ticket. Follow me on my Facebook page at Evan Hallstrom Racing and Twitter at EvanHMS1 or my website at EvanHallstromRacing.com. All right, I want to thank everybody for continuing on with me here on the Brady Farkas Show on the digital version. Thanks to Tom Brennan with us on the live version and Jeff Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus will be with us here in just a little while here on the digital version. So the podcast, as always, is brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, and you know it because you found it on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or WDEV Radio. Mike Reese of ESPN was talking this morning on ESPN Radio about what kind of quarterback the Patriots want. We're all talking about trading up in the draft or staying at 15, and it now doesn't look like Mac Jones is going to be an option for them. But do they want a Mac Jones, Tom Brady-like quarterback who's more of a statue, or do they want the mobile quarterback or the ability to be mobile at quarterback like the Justin Fields? Mike Reese, what kind of QB do the Pats want? But my instinct tells me that they still value those old traits. Like, they're not necessarily moving on to this new age of quarterbacks. And so it gives me a little bit of a pause to say that they would be all in on a Justin Fields. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't necessarily do it, 
but it would be a little bit of a departure from what Bill Belichick has said over the years he really looks for at the quarterback position. There's such a discussion about these contrasting styles, but like, what is it that Mike Reese says the Pats value? Like, what is it that they value in the old time quarterback? They value accuracy. They value toughness, leadership, good decision making. Like, if those are the traits they value, guess what? Every team in the league values those things. That's not new to me. That's a prerequisite for playing quarterback. They want you to be accurate. They want you to be a good leader. They want you to connect with teammates. They want you to be a good face of the organization. They want you to make good decisions on and off the field, and they want you to throw the ball to the right place. That's not new to me. What is new to me is the idea that an NFL team, including the Patriots, should value a quarterback that can move. That is the way the league is moving. It's very simple to me right now. Coming out of the NFL draft, or coming out in the NFL draft, rather, you cannot be a statue anymore. Okay, You can be a statue after a decade. After a decade, you've had the experience. You can mentally decode things. You can beat the system because you've had so much experience. You've seen everything before. Okay, Matt Ryan can get away with it. Drew Brees could get away with it. Tom Brady can get away with it. Peyton Manning could get away with it. Phillip Rivers could get away with it. Those players had so much experience. Joe Flacco, for a long time, could get away with it because they'd seen everything. Okay, they knew the answers to the test before they took the test. They could play the game of chess in their head as it was ongoing and see the moves in front of them. It took them years to get to that level, and that is why they can still succeed in the NFL, most of them, because, again, they have the answers to the test before they actually take the test. You can't do that now coming out. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you could get two or three years to sit on the bench and learn the answers to the test from you know from the sideline. You don't do that now. You get in and you play right away 85% of the time, it feels like. Okay. Tua got what? Six, eight games or whatever. And he got to, you know, he had to go in and play. And Joe Burrow, day one starter. Daniel Jones, he started after what? Like Two games with the Giants? Okay. Quarterbacks that get drafted high, they get the job early. And if they don't get it right away, their team wants to hand it to them as quick as possible. You are learning on the job. You are no longer learning from the sideline anymore. Okay. You won't have the answers to the test. You won't. You won't have the answers to the test anymore. Okay. Carson Palmer could sit for a couple of years, get the answers to the test, come in and play pretty well. Ben Roethlisberger could get the answers to the, you know, could sit. Now, he came in in his rookie year. I understand that for Tommy Maddox, but he could sit for a bit behind Tommy Maddox and learn things. Tom Brady could sit for a year behind Drew Bledsoe and learn things. That doesn't really happen anymore. Okay? That doesn't really happen anymore. You need to be able to learn on the fly. And when you are learning on the fly, you inherently won't be able to process everything that's happening in front of you. So when you can't process, you need the ability to buy time. And when you buy time, you allow things to happen down the field. And it becomes less of the the, the chess match as it does, hey, let me see how long I can extend this play until my receiver can get open. It becomes more backyard football. You need that in today's NFL. Okay, 
you need to be able to get away. You need to be able to use your athleticism to cover up what you don't know mentally. When you've been in the league a decade, then you can understand things mentally enough that you don't need it as much anymore. Okay, Josh Allen, he's been a starter for three years in Buffalo. His rushes per game have gone down every year. He's running is still a big part of his game, but at the beginning it was a crutch. He had to do it. Now he understands it a little better. He processes better. He's got a good team around him. He's got a better line. He doesn't need to run as much. Cam Newton, at the beginning of his career, his second year in the league, he ran at 5.8 times a game. He went down for the next four years after that. Why? Because he's starting to learn the answers to the test. He's learning the way the position is played. He can play from the pocket a little more in year five than he did in year two. And that's fine. That's the goal. But until you have the answers to the test, you need to be able to fall back on something. And that's something you can fall back on is athleticism. And I, I don't know what is so hard for people to understand about this. I am not saying the Patriots need to have Lamar Jackson. But the Patriots need to have a quarterback that can cover up for the things that rookie quarterbacks don't know. You need the athleticism to cover up for a coverage that you can't read or a front that you can't decode. They need the athletic quarterback, and they need him in this draft. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, quickly, you know, on our talk with Tom Brennan, I asked him about Cameron Gibson, who is the junior who's coming to UVM now uh, from Western Carolina. I still think it's fascinating to go from one catamounts to another, but that's aside from the point. It's a fascinating career arc for the 6'3 guard. Okay, he averaged 13.6 points per game his freshman year and was named to the all-conference freshman year, the all-freshman team in the Southern Conference. He also led the team in total scoring that year. So Cameron Gibson was an impact player in the Southern Conference his freshman year. Sophomore year, he scores less. Junior year, he scores way less. It's a fascinating career arc. You don't usually see people get worse or get less productive as they move on. But you do a little more research here on the digital side of things, and you find out that injury had to have played some role here. And I was reading Local 22, Local 44 News on this, and a season-ending injury derailed Gibson's sophomore campaign. Limited minutes to begin the year this year. So injury was a part of his story. Now if he comes to UVM and he's completely healthy, you know, he's got an opportunity to be a big part of what they do. You know, UVM has a lot of good players. they got a lot of good guards. So when, you know, when I think about their guards next year, I mean, Ben Shungu's back. They're going to have Sam Alamutu coming in. They're going to have a couple of red shirts that are going to sit, I'm sure, including Michael and Diashimie out of Rice. They got kids that were already on the team. Like there's a, it's a guard heavy team right now. So UVM's gonna have to find a lot of minutes. But Cameron Gibson is a guy who comes in with a pedigree, has been able to score at the Division One level, and certainly you'd think that he could provide some kind of pop even off the bench. But I just more so than anything, I just continue to be amazed that people want to come to UVM. The amount of people that want to come to UVM in comparison to the amount of people who want to leave. We just don't see people leave. I mean, Rob Petty a couple years ago left, but beyond that, like, I think it's just think it's a huge testament to UVM, its people, its culture, its coaching staff, its ability to win, its desire to win. Okay, Look at the guys that have transferred in the last couple of years. Justin Missoula, Duncan DeMuth, Thomas Murphy, Cameron Gibson, Bernie Andre, who eventually had to leave before he played here, but Bernie Andre came here from northern Arizona. Daniel Giddens, 
people are coming to UVM. It's a destination for people. Hey, TB tells the story that 12 women's basketball players at Syracuse are in the transfer portal. People are leaving Syracuse in droves, but yet people are not leaving UVM. People are coming to UVM. It's fascinating to me. So we'll see what happens. Cameron Gibson joining a, uh, a whole lot of guards here in Catamount Country. Okay, we do it every single day, even on the digital side. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. All right. They really said that? That's the issue for me, is that he is limited physically in a vacuum. Cam Newton's shoulder is what it is. His body is what it is. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right. Who's Saying What right here? On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's saying what belongs to Kyle Shanahan? Kyle Shanahan is the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers and been a lot of speculation about his team's future with Jimmy Garoppolo and if his team will trade Jimmy Garoppolo, especially around the draft here. They've already said they are taking a quarterback at the number three pick in the draft on uh, on uh, Thursday night. And why are they doing that, Kyle Shanahan? He answered yesterday. The biggest thing with Jimmy is his injuries. It's been very tough for us when he's been hurt, and um, you know, and it's happened two out of these three years. That's where it starts, and Jimmy knows that. I've been very upfront with him with everything, and you know, we've been zooming these last two weeks. I'm excited to get him in here coming up, especially when this draft's over. But I feel very fortunate taking a rookie quarterback that we do have a guy like Jimmy. You know, we didn't sign a guy who's capable or has the history of being a starter right away. Well, we have a guy who every time he's been a starter, he's played at a high level. So to have that with Jimmy while adding a rookie, a rookie quarterback gives us a lot of leeway into this. So Shanahan tells you we're taking a quarterback, and the reason why is that Jimmy Garoppolo's injured too much. Um, I think fans appreciate the transparency. I have always appreciated the transparency when it comes from – you know, when it comes to teams, because we just don't get any. Like, we think about the Patriots, we just don't get transparency in what they're doing. So I think fans are always clamoring to know what the organization is thinking. And if I'm a 49ers fan, I'm sitting here thinking, hey, we want to go to the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo took us to the Super Bowl. Why are we setting the clock back necessarily um, by going with a rookie quarterback? And Shanahan just comes out and tells you, our guy gets injured too much. I love the transparency. I'm not complaining about it, but I tell you what, if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I could do a little less. I could do with a little less of the transparency. The fans, the media, we appreciate the talking points, the discussion points, the here's what we're thinking, and that's great for us. That's great for me as a fan to have an insight to the organization's way of thinking. But there are still human beings here at play, and if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I am hurt, I am offended, I am upset that now... We, you've made a very public statement when you go out and acquire the number three pick in the draft. You made a very public statement that you're taking a quarterback. You clearly don't value me all that much. And now to go out and, you know, tell the rest of the league that you think I'm, you know, glass here, that's going to hurt my standing in the league everywhere else. So not only are you screwing me in San Francisco, you're screwing me a little bit out of potential opportunities in the future as well because other teams now – you know, not that they don't know it already, but they hear you say it, and they're thinking to themselves, like, wow, even their own, t- like the guys in the building who know him best think he can't stay on the field. Why would we go out and acquire him? So, if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, I am, I mean, I want out of San Francisco quickly, like, and very quickly. Now, 
San Francisco is a very good team. They do have a chance to go far. If Garoppolo can hold on to the job, you got a chance to play for a Super Bowl. But the flip side is you could be benched before the season even starts. New England is not as good a situation as San Francisco, but I'd tenfold rather play in New England where a team that acquires me clearly values me to a degree because clearly Jimmy Garoppolo is not valued in San Francisco. Okay, I've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about what I think the problem with baseball is. And the problem with baseball to me is that there's just not enough balls put in play and the pitching has gotten too good. Well, joining me now is Jeff Potter Nostro over at Baseball Prospectus, where he's a lead prospect writer and analyst. And uh, he was talking a little bit about this on social media yesterday and what he thinks is wrong with baseball. So I welcome on Jeff Potter Nostro now. Jeff, thanks for being with me, man. How are you? Good. Uh, Doing well. Great day. Hope they get the game in because the Mets have had about uh, five or six games banged at this point. Well, I appreciate you being with us. It's been a while since we spoke. As I recall, you are a, uh, a a purveyor of whiskeys and alcohol. I think a trip to Vermont is in your future for the craft beer scene when the pandemic is over. So uh, my wife and I used to try to make a trip up to Burlington about once a year to oh. see the Lake Monsters, even though there are closer Penn League teams available to us just because we do like the town so much. <laughs> and I do like the craft beer so much. <laughs> well, Burlington is a great place. We're lucky to have it, uh, you know, a half hour-ish away from us here at WDEV. Um, I made this point the other day. J.D. Martinez was talking about it. And then I saw you talking about it on social media, the problems with baseball. And I'm just going to ask you a blanket statement. Everybody says it's launch angle, it's analytics, it's sabermetrics. From my opinion, the pitching has gotten too good. The pitching has gotten too good in Major League Baseball. Am I am I off base with that assessment? No, I mean I think they play into each other to an extent, but the pitcher is always going to control the at bat to a certain extent, right? So if he throws four pitches, not even anywhere close to the zone, there's nothing really the batter can do. The batter is going to walk as long as he can recognize that they're balls. Mm-hmm. Conversely. If he's able to throw 98 high spin up and play a downer curveball off of that pitch that looks the same out of the hand, there's very little a hitter can do, right? There's a lot of physics involved here. There's spin rate, there's spin efficiency, there's even seam shifted wake is coming into, into vogue now. But ultimately, it's a very simple physics problem. The harder you throw, and this applies to whether it's a fastball, a breaking ball, or a changeup, the less time the hitter has to react and the less time he has to get his bat to the ball. And pitchers are throwing everything so much harder now that the trade-off has to be, if I'm going to strike out more and that's unavoidable, I have to do as much damage on contact as possible. The best thing I can do when I hit the ball is hit a home run. The only way I can hit a home run is to hit a fly ball. And I mean, Ted Williams figured this out 70 years ago. Everything old is new again. But that's kind of where the game is going. The, the pitcher has optimized what he does so much well, the batter has only real one response in his court. You know, it's fascinating that you say that. And I, I think it does play into what I said and what J.D. Martinez said, too, about velocity increases. He said when he was coming up, one guy threw 100 miles an hour, and now it's like two guys on every bullpen throw 100 miles an hour and simply just harder to hit. And, you know, I think the days of you realistically stringing together five singles in an inning and mixing in a stolen base, they're just really not there right now. Right. The Best you could hope for is, you know, maybe you dunk one over the infield's head, somebody gets on on a walk, and then your your big bopper hits a three-run home run. Again, this isn't new either. This was sort of Earl Weaver's idea from the 70s. But 
that's pretty much the only way to play now. I know there's been a lot of talk about the Yankees and their struggles recently and their reliance on the home run. That's sort of been a recurring theme with that team now for, again, most of the decade. But when you get to the playoffs, especially, and you're seeing the best starting pitching and you're seeing the team's best relievers and you're seeing them at their at their peak, really, and the starting pitching is only going five innings, so they're maxing out too. Are you really getting three singles off Garrett Cole yeah. in an inning? No, you're really getting three three singles off Jacob Degrom or a single and a double and whatever else you need to get one or two runs scratched across. And again, let's say you play small ball and bought a run over and get a guy in with a sacrifice fly, and the next inning your pitcher deals with a walk and a home run. Well, you're down two one. Mm. So. There's really, I don't have a good solution for this, by the way. I don't know if moving the mound back is going to do it. They tried messing around with the baseball again to increase the drag because that was a big issue in recent years with the Rawlings baseball just traveling further than it should. But the upside of that is they made the seams higher to reduce the drag, and that just makes breaking balls better. So, again, you're just, I don't know if there's any way to get around this. This is where baseball has been going for a while now. And they're going to try some different solutions. I already mentioned moving the mound back. They're playing around with limiting pickoffs, limiting the shift. But ultimately, the best thing a hitter can do is hit a home run. So they're going to keep trying to hit home runs. I think moving the mound back is is the thing I'm most okay with. Um, you know, I, once I saw the study and I found out the pitchers aren't going to get hurt more often because of throwing the ball an extra foot, I just think – you know, every other sport is giving the advantage to the offense. And look, I don't want 16, 14 baseball games, just like I don't want 50 to 47 NFL games. But the NFL has given the offense the advantage in so many ways. The NBA has given the offense the advantage in so many ways. It feels like baseball, the offense has no advantage for all the reasons you stated about three minutes ago. I, I'm for trying this. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know. There's going to be unintended consequences moving the mound back. Obviously, I don't know what they're going to be yet. You know, curveballs will be better. Yeah, foot more breaking balls to break. And you know, you're introducing this at the same time as uh, robotic strike zone or automated strike zone. You might have some weird outcomes. There may have some very upset hitters when pitchers just catch when pitches just catch the bottom of the zone and stuff like that. But you know, hitters can adjust to that. I think pitchers can adjust to it. I do wonder if we're going to see more walks in the short term until people start to adjust on both sides. So that may not be the most exciting thing in the world. I mean, look, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. I have fond memories of sort of the variety of ways to play baseball that were successful in that era. You know, you had the the late 80s Cardinals, which were a lot of singles and stolen bases and the in you know triples in the Big Bush Stadium. You had, you know, plenty of teams that still hit for power then too. You had great starting pitching, you had side arming relievers, but Again, it really comes down to we have so much more information about the sport now, and we know exactly what are the best ways to get hitters out. And every team has figured this out. And so some sort of pitching lab or some sort of pitching development program based around this. There's certainly a ton of third-party organizations and groups that can do this in private coaching. And it's trickled down all the way to most colleges have a ton of high-speed cameras and you know Rapsodo machines that are giving you outputs on what exactly your velocity is, what your spin rate is. You know, in the high-speed camera, you see how the pitch comes out of the hand. You can adjust the release. You can adjust the grip to maximize like your spin efficiency and your vertical drop. And these are all sort of uh, you know pitching development buzzwords at the time. But you see the end result in the field. You have someone like Corbin Burns who struck out 50 and walked none this year. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, I was talking about this a little while ago. I, I want to move over to the Red Sox. Um, I think the Red Sox are at a really interesting spot here with Eduardo Rodriguez because at the beginning of the year, when I thought the Red Sox were going to finish in fourth place, I was like, <laughs> maybe let Erod build up, hopefully have a good year, and maybe you trade him for prospects at the deadline. Now it's like, hey, the Red Sox are pretty good. They might be in contention for a playoff spot. You don't want to trade Erod. Do you just extend Erod now and try to get him on a long-term deal? Where do you think the Sox are at with Erod? I think it depends because we haven't really seen what this front office has done with their, I don't, and he's not particularly young and he's closer to free agency than say a Raphael Devers, yeah. for example. Um, we don't know how they're going to view long-term extensions like that. You know, you can look at what Bloom did in Tampa. There is certainly a track record of long-term extensions, but they were usually further away from free agency. They're usually covering more cost-controlled years, and they're usually cheaper than you're going to spend to extend a number three starter at this point in his contract situation. But you look up and down their system. Uh, Tanner Houck's been quite good in his limited looks in the majors. Uh, Brian Mata, another one of their top pitching prospects, just had Tommy John surgery. There's not obvious help coming immediately for that rotation. And if you are looking at more of a medium-term competition cycle, there's no reason not to extend him if you can make the, the money work for both sides because you look at towards the free agent market this offseason as well. You've got a lot of older pitchers, you know, uh, Zach Greinke, Max Scherzer, kind of not the aisle I think they're going to be shopping in immediately. You've got Noah Syndergaard is coming off Tommy John surgery. You've got Marcus Stroman. There really isn't... Um, you know, a, a equivalent, you know, that quality of pitcher, I think that's going to be available to sort of that level and that age and that level of experience. So if they've decided that he's their guy or he's the guy they want to target, I think this would be a good time to, to get something done there. But again, I don't know what they want to spend in terms of sort of medium term money at this point, which is what it always comes down to. One thing I'm fascinated by is is how the shortened season last year will impact pitcher workloads this year. And I did say I thought the Red Sox would be better this year. I thought they would start out well, and I think they will ultimately fade down the stretch because the track records for Garrett Richards and Nathan Eovaldi throwing 200 <laughs> innings in normal situations are not very good. And I have said I don't think they have the depth to overcome You know what I think they're going to need to overcome at some point. Am I right? Is the system that bare outside of how, for the most part, and the Seabold kid I keep hearing about? Yeah, so it's improving, certainly, but it started as one of the three or four worst systems in baseball towards the end of the Dave Dombrowski era. And look, that's what you get with Dave Dombrowski. It's not going to be a good farm system. You're probably going to fly a few flags. So you got to decide if that calculus works for you. I guess at a certain point, it didn't work for Red Sox ownership. But, I mean, there's certainly some interesting names. Uh, we've heard good things about Nick York, their first-round yeah. pick last year. Uh, you know, he's going to be a few years away as a prep bat. Uh, hitterish is a very popular scouting adjective. Uh, he's hitterish. Uh, I, I mentioned Hauk already. Uh, you know, Tristan Casas is probably yeah. a good major leaguer. It's uh, Look, it's tough being a young first-base prospect. You have to hit a ton to really get on the scene. And you're going to have to prove it at every level. You know, I, I don't know where he's going to start, how they viewed his alternate site year last year. The I mean, they were raving about him. Does that mean he goes to double A this year? Maybe. And that'll be a, a big test of where he is right now. Uh, I like Gervato Jimenez a lot, who's another young hitterish uh, <laughs> type player. But what you do look up, and Jeter Downs, you know, Jeter Downs and 
is definitely you know who came over in the Mookie Betts trade. Might see him at some point this year. I, you know, we already talked about what the missing year means for major leaguers. The missing year for minor leaguers is even uh, more difficult to yeah. sort of assess. Like I'm going to be out on the field in a couple of weeks, and I kind of have to look at this as a clean slate, even if it's a guy I've seen before at the lower levels. Like I just have to go in. Like I've got, I have no new information on this guy. I've got to go in to Blue Rasa, make my notes like I'm seeing him for the first time, and I and just try to evaluate from there because there are guys that are going to look completely different than what I saw two years yeah. ago, physically, tools wise, skills wise. And it's just, I, you know, I wrote this at, at BP for our annual, when we did our prospect list. There were absolutely guys that had breakouts last year that we just don't know about yeah, because we didn't have access to the information or they were playing somewhere else. You know, Akil Badu of the Tigers wasn't even at the twins alternate site last year. Yeah. had gotten hurt the year before in advanced day with a, uh, I think it was a handmade or a wrist injury and only played like 20 games. Tigers popped him in the role five. And look, I don't think he's quite as good as he's shown so far. But he looks like a major leaguer. Something obviously happened last year, but we didn't know about it. Jeff, we'll get you out of here on this. Before you were Jeff Padanostro, big wig at Baseball Prospectus. You were Jeff Padanostro, big wig at the popular Mets blog, Amazing Avenue. So you at your core are a Mets guy. As we see the Red Sox and Mets for two games this week. Talk to me from your perspective. How unbelievable is this run that Jacob deGrom is on? Because we're going to see deGrom tomorrow night. <laughs> And uh, you almost get spoiled in a way. Like, I don't want to say it's boring because it's not boring watching him pitch, but it's just so expected. Like he, to a complete game, shut out two hits. I think it was 16 strikeouts. And it was just another day at the office, really. Mm. He's so unhittable and it's nothing super fancy. Like he's got a 93 mile an hour slider. It doesn't break a ton. He's got a 92 mile an hour change up the phase a little bit, and he throws roughly a hundred now up in the zone with high spin. But just when he's working in concert, some days he'll only just throw 90% fastballs or 80% fastballs. He'll move it around the zone and dare guys to hit it. And they usually can't. Then maybe second time to the order, he'll, he'll throw in the slider here and there just for an extra wrinkle. And, you know, honestly, I lived through Pedro Martinez's peak, you know, in 98 to 2001. I'm not going to say this is better because doing that in that era in Fenway Park in the DH league is, and you look at sort of his ERA compared to league ERA, it was ridiculous. Like one year, I think he won the ERA to a title by like two runs over the next closest pitcher. That said, this might be the best pitcher peak I've seen since Pedro Martinez. Well, Red Sox better do their part to win tonight. That's all I can say <laughs> in this two-game series. So, Jeff Paternostro over at Baseball Perspectives. Jeff, we appreciate the time, the perspective, and uh, you know, when the pandemic is over, Burlington and the beer scene will be waiting for you. Oh, I can't wait, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that was my interview with Jeff Paternostro, and it's fascinating. When we talk about what the issue is with baseball, everybody is saying what I am saying now, Okay. I see people on Twitter still. I've even seen media members in this market on Twitter saying that analytics is the thing ruining baseball. Sabermetrics is the thing ruining baseball. No, the thing ruining baseball, if it's in fact being ruined, is that hitters can't hit. Why can't hitters hit? Because the pitching is too good. Jeff Paternostro once more. But ultimately, it's a very simple physics problem. The harder you throw, and this applies whether it's a fastball, a breaking ball, or a changeup, the less time the hitter has to react and the less time he has to get his bat to the ball. And pitchers are throwing everything so much harder now that the trade-off has to be, if I'm going to strike out more and that's unavoidable, 
I have to do as much damage on contact as possible. So it's all related, right? Like if you think launch angle is the problem, it stems from the fact that hitters have recognized striking out is unavoidable. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it more. I better make what I do make contact. I better make it count. It's a very circular thing here. It's like the chicken or the egg. It Launch angle didn't just get invented. It got invented for a reason. And, you know, the idea of hitting home runs got invented for a reason because the pitchers are just too good. And if you don't believe, I mean, look at, listen to what Tim Kirchin had to say about this today on ESPN. We are seeing pitching right now that is so remarkably good. The hitters basically have no chance to put a good swing on the ball when a pitcher with great stuff locates it. I mean, just look at what Jacob deGrom has done. He has the most strikeouts, 50 through the first four starts of any season ever. Look at what Corbin Burns of the Brewers has done. No walks. 49 strikeouts. We've had over 30 times this year that an individual hitter has struck out four times in a game. Over 30 already. Bill Buckner, Mike Sosha never struck out three times in a game, and 33 (laughs) guys have struck out four times in a game. Hitters have virtually no chance. Hitters have virtually no chance. John Chomby of ESPN, who's now also the Cubs broadcaster, says, look, in 2008... Hitters swung and missed 20% of the time. Now, 27% of the time. Today, if ML, you know the Major League Baseball average batting average is 232. That would be the lowest ever collective. This is the problem. The pitching is too good. It's why I'm in favor of moving the mound back in the Atlantic League and seeing what it looks like because guys aren't all of a sudden going to start throwing slower. Biologically, they're only going to throw harder. Guys aren't going to go from... 96 to 92 just to help the hitters. They're going to continue throwing hard. And Jeff was right. There are going to be some unintended consequences. More breaking balls might get thrown. More changeups might get thrown. Some of those pitches will become better. So the pitches with movement will become better. Maybe we see less fastballs overall. Pitchers will adjust too, but hitters can't hit this velocity. Not consistently. And that is the problem. Uh, one note real quick before I get you out of here. Uh, Governor Charlie Baker did announce today that starting August 1st, there can be full-capacity crowds at all Boston and New England, uh, Massachusetts sporting events. So that means full Patriots uh, capacity for the entire season. Red Sox starting um, Red Sox beginning on uh, August 1st as well, and, and that's the way it should be. Enough people will have had an opportunity to be vaccinated Enough of the population will be vaccinated, and you know the government can't protect everybody anymore. So um, you know they've done their job, I think, and you know now we'll have an opportunity to get life back to normal a bit. So I want to thank Jeff Paternostro for coming on. Good news if you're a Sox fan or a Patriots fan, you can go to games beginning August 1st and feel pretty darn good about it with full crowds if you're comfortable. And uh, thanks to Tom Brennan as well. Remember, no show tomorrow at all live on the air. We will have a fully digital show tomorrow as well. I'm very excited. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. And then Mike Mutnaski, uh, you know him as Mutt from the Red Sox pregame network and WEEI. He'll be with me as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. Brady Farkas Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Tell your friends to subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate you right here on WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. 